Hi, and welcome back to the Convergently Speaking podcast. This week I have an interview with my friend Carmen Bliss, counsellor and coach. actually only met Carmen a few years ago when I was studying a conflict resolution unit at uni and we quickly hit it off realizing we had a lot of interests in common but also life experiences in common. So I'm really excited to bring you this conversation today. We had a great time putting it together and I was really humbled by the wisdom and experience that Carmen brought during our conversation. This was my first recorded interview over the internet, so it's still a bit of a learning experience for Caitlin and I. So bear with us as we fine tune the audio for these type of interviews. That said, it was really fun and I can't wait to do a few more of them. So without further ado, Here's my conversation with Carmen Bliss. Hi, how are you, Carmen? Hi, how are you going, Dan? This is cool. I'm really happy that we've managed to make this work. Especially yeah, me the, too. Yeah, especially with the end of year chaos. And yeah, we've been talking about it for ages, so it's, it's really cool. Um, I thought we might start just if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? And Yeah, no worries. So um, my name's Carmen Bliss, obviously. Thank you for introducing me. Um, And my business is called Inspired Wellbeing Co. Um, And basically I do counselling, workplace wellbeing and uh, mindful parenting strategies. So that's where I'm at at the moment. So yeah, and it's really good to talk to you, Dan. I know, like you said, we've been wanting to do it for ages. So it's good to finally be um, sitting down and chatting. Yeah. Far out. I'm just thinking if I was someone listening in, you do, you do a range of things. Like how, how did you come to end up doing those, those different things? Cause they're not, you know, they're not necessarily like a natural progression, like the workplace stuff and then the, the mindful parenting stuff and Yeah, so it is. It's a bit of a vast contrast between um, the three sort of satellites that I do um, work in. And I suppose it started from um, a positive psychology background. So Mm -hmm. um, I sort of uh, started my um, career in the administration sort of business background. Um, And then we actually had um, a bit of a, like a personal tragedy and it kind of, turned my world upside down. Um, We lost a child um, through stillbirth and that actually um, gave me, I suppose, the change of life um, to be able to look at positive psychology. Um, I did my diploma and then from there, um, the business evolved. So I would call it, I suppose, um, post-traumatic growth rather Mm -hmm, than mm -hmm. um, stress. So yeah, that's where the business was born from. And uh, yeah, and here I am today. So the parenting stuff came first. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw a need in the market and a need with my own child, um, my uh, then three-year-old daughter, um, who was having some behavioral issues and thought there has to be a better way. And there has to be Mm -hmm. a way to be able to I suppose, encourage her positively um, with her behaviours rather than the traditional sort of time-out punitive Mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. So I applied some of the positive psychology strategies in my own life and to her. And, yeah, then I thought, wow, this has really worked. Um, I should be teaching this to other people because it's such a fantastic way of parenting and the connection um, that you get with your kids from that is um, just amazing. So that's how the parenting part came about it. Um, The counselling, as you know, Dan, I study with you um, at the moment. So Mm -hmm. that's always been a natural progression after that study uh, of counselling and coaching. And then the workplace wellbeing uh, came about because I was in a government job for eight years and um, 
huge need for well-being in the workplace, mm. uh, not just in government but in small business as well. So that's when I decided I need to do something about this and uh, I need to uh, inject some well-being into workplaces to help with employee retention and employees' satisfaction, you know, work rate, efficiency, all of that because as you know, um, happy people uh, work more efficiently. Mm, and mm. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that's where that came about as well. Wow. So all three things really come from your own lived experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's uh, probably where the passion lies, mm. I suppose. I love that because, yeah, you can't, you can't teach you can't teach that lived experience of someone like there's there's nothing better than it the going back to you know the first the first side of it all you're talking about having an experience of well post traumatic growth that came out of a like highly stressful situation losing a child and then you talked about like the positive um positive psychology i haven't actually talked about positive psychology on the podcast but it may be good just like to add a bit of context to how those two things connect and um because i know that it's not well, we both know that it's not just like hyper positivity saying oh i had a bad experience now i'm going to pretend everything's okay do you want to unpack that a little bit yeah, for sure. Thank, thanks for mentioning that, Dan, because, yeah, you're exactly right. People hear the term positive psychology and they think, you know, um, happy clapping in the park um, sort of stuff. So it's definitely not that. And it works on uh, principles around our emotions, um, principles around our relationships. And it's actually about evaluating what's going on in those areas of our lives and what are the positive aspects of those areas of our lives that we can actually improve on? So rather than uh, looking at the weaknesses in our life, uh, we look at the strengths in our life and do more of those things. Uh, and, you know, that time for me in my life was hugely stressful. Um, you know, I ended up with some post-traumatic stress disorder and some anxiety disorder, a um, little bit of panic attacks thrown in there for good measure. Um, but, you know, uh, working through that and healing, healing through that gave me the insight into how we can integrate more meaning into our life every day in our mm. small tasks, not thinking about, um, I suppose, the big picture, like I want to save the world, um, but more thinking about, okay, so what's the meaning in my life in the small tasks? Why is it that I do these things every day? What does that mean in my life in the, in the grand scheme of things? So um, the positive psychology aspect, I suppose, is um, working on all, all, those, all those things that um, make up well-being in your life. Yeah, wow, that's yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I know about some of this stuff, but just to hear you light, like lay it all out like that, it's really cool. So yeah, it's not it's not so much focusing on it's not not focusing on the negative and denying that. It's it's incorporating that, but also knowing where like what'll be healthy and positive to focus on to get. Is it sort of it's sort of like a self perpetuating thing, isn't it? Yeah, I'll definitely. focus on these things, I'll get more meaning. Yeah, definitely. And look, there, there, there are some um, foundation and principles around it. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know whether you're aware and maybe the listeners might want to look it up, but um, uh, Martin Seligman is the man that sort of founded Positive Psychology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a huge amount of research that's gone into it. So he spent um, many, many years researching um, all around the world, not, not just in um, America where he's from, um, but all different um, countries sort of researching what it means to, to have that um, sense of satisfaction and meaning and, and um a flourishing sort of life um, and what are the aspects that make you flourish in life so that's where the principles come from and he oh. developed some tools around that so yeah I'm remembering and I want to hear 
like some of those principles and tools. But I'm remembering now from when I studied positive psychology that he actually had like a long career prior in a more traditional psychology kind of space, studying and looking at pathology and 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 all of that, which I found really contextualized at all. Because once again, it's not like he's this person that's uh, permanently orientated to only looking at the good, as we see this temperament in some people. But you've probably read deeper into it than I have. But the the impression I got was like it was a trying to do the best work he could and help people the most. He naturally uh, is evolving. His thinking evolved into the looking at and studying the positive as he realised that hadn't really been studied before. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. and and you're you're right on the money there, Dan. Um, he was a psychologist before he just started discovering the positive psychology aspects and researching into that. So his uh, foundations uh, were in traditional psychology. So yeah, it does. It it makes uh, for a good basis. And uh, through his practice, he he noticed the things that would change the psychology of people um, into a more positive, flourishing life. Mm -hmm. And and that piqued his interest, obviously. and, And he started researching around that. Yeah, cool. So tell us a bit more about your mindfulness parenting and, you know, because I know that integrates with the positive psychology. So it's like the the basis for it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, So um, I have an aspect of my business, like I mentioned before, called mindful parenting. And uh, I said before it was born out of a need because my daughter had, had um, you know, the, uh, the behavioural issues like, um, you know, not not sitting, you know, go to go somewhere and she doesn't get in her car seat for 15 minutes. You know, mm-hmm, there's a mm-hmm. big screaming tantrum. Um, yeah, we've experienced that. <laughs> yeah. And I was just finding that, um, you know, I've, I've got an 11 year old son as well, but he was very introverted and he, he didn't. Uh, display the same sort of tantrums um, that my daughter did. So uh, thinking about that and thinking about her personality, so she's very emotive um, outwardly. So, and I'm very introverted. So I needed to find a way to be able to support her in her emotiveness without dampening it Mm. with a way to support her and a way to, bring my son's emotions out a little bit more as well because you know it, it, there's that balance so drawing on the positive psychology framework i started thinking about okay how how can i um be a uh, value to both of my children and nurture their emotions without using um you know punishment um but also keeping the respectful boundaries obviously that kids need so I thought about, um, you know, the, those principles and how I would use those. So I started using um, what's called a time in instead of a time out. Mm-hmm, so that's, mm-hmm. where, that's where I started. And um, we now have evolved to teaching other parents um, how to recognise, uh, well, first of all, we teach them about self-care because as you know, Dan, as a mother or a father, or even a grandparent caring for their children. We don't do self-care well. Mm. Um, we think it's selfish and we don't prioritise ourselves. And I suppose that that part of the positive psychology is um, filling up our own cups first. Mm-hmm. Um, and self-care doesn't mean massage or, you know, um, going out with friends or whatever. It, it's deeper than that. It's, it's working on ourselves. It's um, taking the time out to rejuvenate our energy, um, you know, thinking about the energy that we bring into every situation. Um, self-care could mean therapy it could mean counseling it could mean um, you know making sure you exercise um, eat well all of that sort of stuff so we teach about that first um, and then we actually look at um, the child's emotions and the development of the child's brain so in a positive psychology way we we talk to our parents about how the child's brain develops uh, which I think is really important. And we don't get a manual when we have these. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, um, you would know, Dan, you've got um, children as well. So after we give birth or, or become a new father, we don't get this um, sort of handout that goes with it, you know, how to raise a child successfully. And we can only go on our own experiences. So I teach, I teach them about yeah, the child development and the brain and, and how the brain reacts when they're having those tantrums. Um, and we talk about how that actually um, works in a, from a parenting point of view, you know, so relaying information or connecting with the child or naming emotions. Um, I think, I don't know about you, Dan, but when I grew up, um, we didn't really talk about emotions. We didn't name them. You know, I, I would never have said, I'm feeling angry. Um, yeah, no, no, we didn't either. Yeah, so um, that's what, you know, that's the basis of um, teaching um, emotional intelligence to children, mm, basically. Mm. So, yeah, and then we move on to, um, you know, some strategies around how to integrate that into your everyday life and um, how to integrate resilience um, into your children um, because, you know, children are not as resilient as they used to be and I'm not sure what, why, um, but, yeah, we teach that as well. So, yeah, it, it's, it's just a nice package to be able to help parents um, mm. give them the toolbox that they need, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, wow. So, obviously, the toolbox worked for you on the front end yeah, and, then, and that sort of sold it to you and you thought so so what made you how how did you go from i want to use this to my for myself because a lot of people be like cool got this thing i'm using it for myself and go along with their life how did you switch to thinking oh actually i want to i want to do this i want to actually teach this to have you always had an impulse to to teach or to help or was that new for you um I think the impulse has always been there. Um, I've always been sort of like a natural leader in my, you know, business and admin, always been sort of a forward thinker, I suppose you could say. Um, perhaps in your terms, Dan, um, intuitive thinking. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, so I think it was a natural progression. You know, my business was in its infancy and um, I, I really wanted to pass on some of this knowledge because, you know, I would see um, sort of parents really struggling or, um, you know, my friends would say, oh, my gosh, like parenting, it's so hard. You know, I've never got any time for myself. My child's always having a tantrum or, you know, all of that stuff. So I think it was just a natural progression. And I started with like a free workshop for the community. Mm -hmm. um, and I touched on a couple of the subjects and I got a really good response. You know, I had 20 people to my first workshop, which... Oh, wow really freaked me out as an introvert but um i got there and yeah, yeah. um yeah from there it, it um turned into um sort of a four-week course that was live you know online and um, through zoom so yeah that's how it sort of happened i suppose yeah that's that's great so to put you on the spot i'd <laughs> love to hear a story some sort of a story of i mean it could be yourself or someone you've worked with one of your clients around some of this positive, positive parenting, mindful parenting, some of the principles actually, you know, being used. Have you got any cool stories about how people have applied it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, like, I had a client that had a three-and-a-half-year-old, I think she was, and she was just acting out all the time. So, uh, you know, you can imagine as a, as a parent, you know, the, the, the terrible twos or the, or the, you know, terrible threes or whatever, three major yeah. or whatever we yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, the child was not expressing emotions, um, just crying erratically quite often. And the mum was just um, kind of exhausted of it, I suppose. And going, you know, thinking about them going into kindy, um, you know, in the next sort of six six to eight months, they were thinking, okay, we kind of need to get this under control, I suppose, before they go. The child had been socialised, etc. you know, so it wasn't about that side of it. It was mm. more about some needs that weren't getting met. Um, and when we talk about needs that aren't getting met, um, that has an effect on emotional development. So, um, 
you know, that's where the tantrums come in, etc. So the child, you know, the parent started the course and we sort of do a check-in every week um, and mm-hmm. see how they go. And the child, um, you know, gradually um, stopped doing these um, sort of throw herself on the floor tantrums. Yeah. Um, so what, what those principles behind that is uh, actually getting down and connecting with the child in those moments of distress, meeting the need that is unmet. So it might be tired, might be hungry, might be personal connection. So energy she's getting from her mum or dad. So meeting the need without complications. So without actually explaining yourself because a child in that moment can't actually retain any information. Their brain has literally shut down. Yeah. That's been helpful for us to learn and realize. Yeah. Um, Can't take in any new information. So rather than try to, um, you know, discuss what's going on or ask them what's going on, you do the connection first. So down on their level, connect physically. If they won't let you physically connect because Sometimes they don't. At the end of when you're learning, they probably will because they get used to it. Um, So just being on their level and saying, I'm here when you're ready. I notice that you're feeling really sad. Just leave it at that. They'll come to you. And, you know, the more times you practice that, they will come quicker. They will, you know, come for that emotional support. And then we meet the need that's unmet. So whether it be food or sleep or connection, mm. um, we generally do some activities in that time. So this mum found that over the course of the four or five weeks, um, her daughter went from you know a screaming mess on the floor to coming to her and saying, mummy, I'm feeling sad. And then they would do some colouring in and do that connection or get a snack or whatever. So that's huge for a parent to to go from, not understanding their child and why they're in a tantrum state quite often to actually connecting with their child and having that behavior disappear. Mm. Huge to see that transformation of behavior and also huge to hear a human learning to be in touch with their emotional state so quickly that she could actually say, I'm sad. I think about all the adults I know myself included that have had to learn as an adult, what's happening emotionally, you know, there's an emotion, what is it? And being able to verbalize and express that. Yeah. Sounds like a child can learn that a lot, a lot quicker than Mm -hmm. an adult. You're saying like it took only a month for her to obviously sadness is only one emotion, but yeah, um, that's really cool. Yeah. And, and so at that age, we only teach four emotions. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, within the course that we run, we teach, you know, in the developmental stages of the child, uh, they can only recognise those four emotions. And then, you know, as they progress, as they get older, you add more in, you know, Mm -hmm. know, might be frustrated or might be surprised or something like that. So, um, but for a three-year-old or three-and-a-half-year-old, that's, you know, the four emotions are definitely enough. And does that include parents setting an example by expressing their own emotions? Yeah, it's most definitely, Dan. Um, you know, that is another part of the course is understanding what our triggers are, understanding uh, what our emotions are, because sometimes as parents, we don't actually understand that ourselves. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And we, we react, they react and it, and it quickly yeah. spirals. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. So it's about connection rather than, rather than reaction and um, understanding your own triggers is really important in part of that, in the part of that journey. And along with that comes recognizing our own emotions and actually expressing them verbally to our children as well. You know, um, Growing up, I didn't see my parents display any um, sort of uh, hard emotions, you know, sadness, anger, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those were never modelled to me and it might be the same for, you know, you or the listeners um, or it might have been the extreme way. They were um, expressed all of the time in, mm-hmm. and there was no joy or happiness. So um, for us to understand um, how to express our own emotions is really important too. And it might just be simple as saying, I'm really happy today that we're at the park. 
you know, and just yes, dropping yes. it in normal conversation or, you know, mummy feels really sad that, um, you know, I didn't get my letter on time or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, like, this is all stuff we've we've been journeying with ourselves and I think Caitlin's always been a, a step ahead of me in some of this stuff because she got, you know, her family wasn't perfect by any any means growing up, but there was a general level of um i don't know emotional connection and emotional intelligence that or in a way that i didn't have it i think we probably both had different things but yeah so this this just this sentiment of validating emotions and expressing emotions so i've watched her and i do it now as well with the kids that rather than going to shame or to guilt when they do something wrong or even if they make a mistake and they break something accidentally, uh, you know, I've watched Caitlin many times say, I'm feeling really frustrated that dot, 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 or, you know, when you did that, I felt sad, but doing it from a, yeah, not reactive, but doing it from a very um, congruent state, but actually to show the kid that I'm actually a human and I actually feel things. That's pretty groundbreaking for me to observe that because I do that as well. I'm, I'm often someone who likes to naturally present as being real and being human. But when it comes to parenting, you're like, oh, how, how, how perfect am I meant to present versus how, you know, how, how many of the struggles and challenges that, that are actually going on in the background. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I think we discount kids um, for not understanding probably the level that we do, but they actually understand a lot more than what we think. And, you know, even the energy um, that represents, you know, when we, you know, bring home crazy energy, you know, we've had a crazy day or a really stressful day, um, you know, bringing that energy into the house. I don't know whether you've noticed, Anne, um, but you know, if you if you bring that energy yourself, your kids uh, pick up on that really quickly and um, either become hyperactive or whingy or, you know, so it's it's about knowing our own en energy as well as, um, you know, mm. the emotions that go with it. So, yeah. And yeah, acknowledging that that's there rather than pretending it's not, which creates this incongruence that's been another thing it's like well if the energy's there they're going to feel it yeah so there's no point in pretending it's there because it's almost like gaslighting them you know exactly we're saying everything's good but at a uh invisible level intangible level they know something's not yeah that's exactly right dan so it is about being a little bit more real and um you know if it's something that you don't think is appropriate for the children maybe taking five minutes and and regrounding our energy and and coming into that situation a little bit differently mm. not that we're pretending that nothing's wrong but perhaps the issue is um unexplainable to a child yes yeah those situations do occur as well but you know the situations where the emotions are mild enough for the child to understand and take that on definitely being real and um, explaining that to the child as well and i suppose that would be tag 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 teaming then with your partner yeah so most, if, most you need, if you need time out or or that kind of thing this yeah. reminds me before the the call we were thinking about possible topics and it seems like a natural segue into this topic that we've discussed offline in the past of personal development and how that works within a relationship and and how i know Catlin and i spoke a little bit about this on the podcast how we try and keep each other like bring each other along in what's happening mm -hmm. love to hear some of your experiences like working as a coach and a counselor because mm. it's something i'm still nutting out you know how how do we keep relationships healthy when whilst also growing and developing yeah yeah for sure and you're right it is um sort of a natural segue because you know it, that parenting stuff has to be consistent 
mm-hmm. um, from both parents. And that is one big aspect that we teach is um, the relationship and, and what that looks like and how um, that feeds into the parenting. And, you know, what, what again, what energy is that relationship bringing into the house? Um, and I suppose for the partners to understand um, what you're learning and how to integrate it themselves and also knowing their triggers and stuff, which is more about that personal development stuff that you, you're talking about, Dan, you know, that growth within oneself to understand what it is that drives them, what it is that drives their reactions, um, what are their triggers you know, how they speak to people, the energy that they bring or, you know, perhaps the trauma in the background that perhaps hasn't been addressed and, mm. and is sitting sitting underneath there. Um, and I think, you know, yes, it is, it's um, quite difficult to be on the same level as your partner, husband or wife or whatever um, because we all grow and um, develop at different stages and I suppose you know in a partnership I know myself you know I've struggled with um, growing more than my husband not to discount discount his growth because he is definitely growing as well Um, but perhaps just not as fast as me and you know that can be challenging at times because Mm. you know we have these expectations of each other um, Mm. and we got this advantage that we work in this space so We're, yeah. we're, we're just expo- you know I get to sit in lectures and be exposed to ideas and theories that my wife running around after the kids just just can't and I'm sure your husband is similar that he's at work and he doesn't work in this kind of space does he he's in a totally no. different industry so yeah yeah so yeah you're exactly right you know um, you and I are exposed to this um, discussions these ideas these um, sort of growth opportunities every single day um, and we work in the space we we study in the space and and you know you and I are friends Dan we, you know we we socialize in this space sure sure yeah it, it becomes um, a different world I suppose so, so how how do we bring the partners in then like how do we how do we do that I mean I know and and I also don't know. It's something I'm still <laughs> trying to trying to work out and trying to sort out in my own mind. And I yeah. suppose a related question, not that you have all the answers, but I'd just <laughs> love love to hear your thoughts is what's going on with men? Because it's nearly always the women or what's going on with women versus you know, it's nearly always the mums. Mm. The, the the theme I've seen is uh, women having kids and then at some point in that process after having kids changing having a real significant shift and mm-hmm. it seems as an outsider looking in it's almost like a rite of rite of passage mm-hmm. having a child for a, a woman um it's not exclusively the case but often it's it's the female that then says i'm going to find my own voice and identity and career or whatever i'm going to do my healing mm-hmm. um and it's the the husband that's lagging behind or kicking up a fuss or or something Mm -hmm. um yeah there's no easy answer to that dan (laughs) (laughs) come on (laughs) thank you for bringing it up um yeah so i think you know the start of that journey is how do we bring our partners along um for that ride of growth and for me it's modeling um you know my husband seeing me grow in my business, grow personally, is motivation f- enough for him to want to grow and explore himself as well. So, you know, he might not listen to all the crazy podcasts that I do or, you know, um, attend crazy free training, you know, about obscure topics like I do. Um, but he is absorbing absorbing the information um, sort of every time my mouth opens. and. Yeah. You know, every time we have a discussion or, you know, every time my business grows or something like that. So, you know, he's seeing um, how much I'm growing and, and how much I'm, I suppose, bringing some more joy into that growth. And mm. he, he's incrementally changing and growing as well. And I suppose as the person that's growing, you know, quicker, we have to be really mindful not to place expectations on the other person. Mm. Because, 
Yes. That can be a real trap. You know, we, we expect them to, to be we, where we are and on the level of understanding that we are. And it's frustrating perhaps that they're not, but you know, mm. you, you, it's hard enough to change yourself, let alone change somebody else. So yeah. Change themselves. And yeah. And we always project like Caitlin and I talked about this, you know, this, we can project onto the other person how we think they should do it. Mm. And it's usually kind of similar to what we did because, you know, that worked for us. And I remember Caitlin was saying on the podcast how she realised that although she might be interested or supportive of some of the people I follow, that that was not necessarily her journey and they're not necessarily her teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and I realised at the end of that podcast, the good way to sum it up was really that you're on the same trajectory even if you're not taking the same path to to that end end space is this something that you find is an issue with people that you're coaching and counseling and even i suppose you get exposed to uh relational dynamics a lot in the mindful parenting course um, yeah yeah it is something that i'm exposed to through my coaching and counseling and and definitely in the mindful parenting um you know, I find that the people that are attracted to my business um, who want to come and have coaching with me are generally people that are starting their journey to growth. So these sort of issues will come up, um, you know, they want to improve their well-being. And, you know, sometimes the relationships aren't open to that growth um, mm. and therefore they're seeking some uh, validation that their growth is okay. For, like, that's the first priority. You know, sometimes they think, okay, maybe I shouldn't be um, sort of growing this way or exploring mm. these options. Mm. What, but, a, what, a, what a great way to frame it. The relationship's not open to that growth. Growth mm. it kind of externalizes the relationship as its own entity. Yeah, um, which I love. I love to think about. I read a book some years back now called the the Zimzum of Love. Okay. And the Zimzum was basically the way that the author and his wife that wrote it together talked about the the third entity of the relationship. Seems a lot, a lot less adversarial than, you know, if you'd said, oh, their partner's not open to growth, um, but, but the relationship as a whole yeah. is not open. I think it's important to think about the relationship as a separate entity because otherwise we get too personal. Um, mm. You know, it becomes um, an attack rather than an observation. Mm, um, mm. of the growth so I think you know working with the people that come to me and working with them about being open um, understanding boundaries but also understanding expectations of themselves and others um, is really important so and that includes their relationships as well so is it always a recipe for an end to the relationship or do you because I've seen it a lot, um, yeah. not always, but it's, it's yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how, what are the values and the tools? Because obviously you usually only work with one person out of a two-person entity. Yeah. How do, you, how do you go about that? I think it's about working with the person that's in front of you, Dan, and I think, um, I, I don't think relationships need to end or it needs to come to that if if the person sitting in front of you is is uh, starting their journey to growth, then that includes, I suppose, um, evaluating their relationship and what what that relationship means to them and what it brings for them. Mm. Um, because we all have, um, I suppose, uh, moments in our relationships where we think, okay, maybe this is not for me. Mm. Um, mm. And you know, I've been with my husband for 18 years now, so that's, you know, quite a long time. So I understand the, the trials and tribulations of um, getting to that point. I think the most, uh, if the core love is still there, but all of the things around that are not quite lining up, 
I think that that's a, a recipe to work through. I think it can be explored and it can be guided and worked through. I don't think you need to, you know, sort of part ways. Obviously, it's another whole other topic if the core love is, is not, mm, it's lost. Mm, sure, sure. Um, and it's about the person understanding themselves like as a full, like whole, whole sort of person um, and what they bring to the relationship. So yeah, that, that's a tricky question, but yeah, I think it's about being really, really open and lots of communication. You know, yeah. I don't think I don't think you know any of us would still be in a relationship if we didn't work on our communication every day. Yeah, and that's right. And there's obviously people that are quote unquote in a relationship, but in in every metric, they're really not. The communication stopped, and the the intimacy's gone, and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um mm, yeah no my my question or my my perspective isn't necessarily that it's by default bad if the relationship's to end it's mm. it's more around um i think you like me uh got a bit of an optimism as to what can be achieved when using the right tools and so that's why we get into this kind of work we <laughs> believe people are capable of of quite a lot and um yeah, I suppose I felt really sad to be exposed to relationship issues that people around me are going through right at the end and then realised, oh, a lot of this was down to one person growing and the other person not growing. And it seems like personal growth is such a joy and such a, a positive thing. It's sad if, you know, if it creates this rift and so... As, as, as we've discussed offline before, it's like how early intervention is probably the language, you know, early mm. intervention for relationships because people obviously get together because they love each other and presumably, presumably want to stay together. So um, that's yeah. why I'm putting, putting you on the spot, trying to mine your brain because <laughs> I'm still, still mulling it all over. Yeah. And, and you're right, it is um, about early intervention, Dan, and I think um, being able to be open enough to recognise the signs that perhaps, you know, the couple needs something external to themselves to be able to uh, contextualise or put in um, to perception of what's going on mm. um, I think sometimes we feel um, shame about what's going on and, and we just keep it in-house for so long then it's too late yeah yeah which kind of comes back to removing that shame around counseling and therapy and stuff um, and being able to sort of seek help when needed rather than um, feel as though it's um, shameful to mm. feel need, need help mm -hmm. and it also comes back to uh, emotional intelligence skills that you're teaching the next generation so that hopefully in 20 years time these kids these people that are kids now when they're in relationships will actually be able to express what's happening in real time rather than keeping it what was the language you use like under underground or keeping it yeah in-house yeah. in-house in-house yeah That's, I, that uh, that is what I'm passionate about, Dan. Um, you know, I can see um, the next generation becoming uh, far more emotionally intelligent than we are or were. And that that's what I, you know, get really passionate about is um, teaching parents to teach their children this emotional intelligence, you know, you know, you look at um, sort of pe people in the media or people in the government that have um, absolutely no emotional intelligence. You know, yeah. if one extreme to another, you know, you look at Donald Trump who has, you know, no emotional intelligence whatsoever. And then you look at um, the beautiful Prime Minister of um, New Zealand, Jacinda Ahern, and, you know, her emotional intelligence is off the scale. So, you know, and it's represented in the way the, the country's run. You know, that's mm. a huge example, but that's what I'm passionate about, changing the language that we use around emotions. And, um, you know, I, I hope that that changes, obviously, um, the mental health of our um, people that we're, we're raising mm. Mm, mm. yeah it's almost like you know i think for a lot of us that have baby boomers as parents or that sort of 
you know, there might be some of the older X Gen X as well. We didn't we didn't really get that because it was almost like a a virtue to be able to be stoic and tough, mm. which is which is understandable for a generation that were children of people that lived through war mm. and you know it's a coping mechanism to cut off and disassociate from the emotion so it's not it's not a judgment but for those of us that have the that sort of age group as parents we didn't we didn't get those skills and so now we're retroactively trying some of us at least i think a lot are retroactively trying to learn and develop a language we didn't get given and some skills we didn't get given and speaking for myself do it clumsily at times so even you know even with our clumsy efforts i can see that just pursuing that can have a beautiful effect on our children and i can't really imagine what it would be like to have our children when they become parents mm. uh, and that's just you know when they were one and two and three they learned to express that they're feeling sad or Mm. or angry or frustrated and as you say when they get a little bit older they get a few more uh words in that vocabulary so when they're an adult they actually have a a full emotional Mm. uh, array of um a full emotional vocabulary Um, yeah so that sounds like that's a lot of what your passion what's, what's pushing you forward yeah definitely dan and um you know, our society is very segregated at the moment. You know, we're not very connected as beings. Um, you know, we have that stoicism and, you know, that has come from the generations before us and, you know, we've kind of built walls around ourselves. And um, I suppose developing the emotional intelligence is taking down those walls again, you know, building that community again and, um, you know, having that human connection that um, I suppose has um, almost been... Um, you know, I don't want to say erased because that's the wrong word, but, you know, it has been um, sort of phased out and, you know, we, we, we sort of live in brick houses and yeah. um, throw stones sometimes. And I'd really like those walls to come down in the, in the future generations and have that human connection and belonging and sense of community come back, um, which again, forms our meaning for life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so much of our meaning comes from the quality of our relationships. Mm, yeah, that's exactly right. Better or worse, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the question I'm wondering about, because I think probably people listening in, any of us that are parents and we're working, we're all wondering, you know, how the hell, how the hell others are doing it. <laughs> and I'd love to hear, I know you're interested in workplace wellbeing and a lot of that's grounded in being a whole and balanced, living a balanced life. Mm. I'd love to hear um, either your own experiences or just that uh, wisdom you've picked up along the way of how to how to balance all that stuff because you've clearly got a lot a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's um, it's I describe it, I suppose, Dan, as a um, you know a bit of a roller coaster, which I suppose life is really, isn't it? Yes. Um, you know, I've been on a roller coaster for the last three years and I've had some pretty um, low moments, you know, dealing with PTSD and Mm. uh, panic disorder and that sort of stuff and trying to work through that. But I suppose, um, you know, and yes, I am a busy um, mum, you know, fitting fitting lots of stuff in. Um, The way that I cope is making sure I work on my self-care every single day. Mm. Um, That is a non-negotiable for me in my life, Um, you know, and everyone's self-care looks different. Mm. Um, And it's about, I suppose, coming out of your mind and into your body and understanding what your body wants, um, what it needs to be able to actually function properly every day. Um, For me, that's good nutrition. For me, that's moving my body every day, whether it's a gentle walk or whether it's going to Pilates or something like that. For me, it's, um, you know, making sure I get to bed on time um, because I know for me that I don't function on not much sleep. Yeah. Um, it's about putting boundaries in place, having the ability to say no when I need to, which I know that, um, you know, all of my clients struggle with. Um, yeah 
huge. Um, you would know yourself, Dan, you know, um, putting those boundaries in um, actually takes um, a lot of self-worth mm. and a lot of self-confidence to be able to actually say, no, you know what, that doesn't fit in with me and mm. my, mm. my self-care right now. Mm. Um, but having the confidence to do that is, is um, definitely something that we all have to work on. Um, and also, you know, having therapy, you know, I see a counsellor regularly. Um, that's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing mm. to be, you know, um, it's, it's a good thing. It's, it's sure, sure. opening us um, up to the possibilities of um, more in life and looking at perhaps critically what's going on in our life and how we can um, work on that or correct it. So for me, it's about... Um, you know, balancing all of that together and being really connected to the people I love is really important as well. So, you know, yes, I may work at the moment, I'm working three jobs, which is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, that's in perfect balance. You know, I, I work in my own job. Um, I, I have a little part-time job and I um, do some cash work as well. So, um, you know, but that's in balance. And I say no to things that um, mm. perhaps overload that balance. Mm. I, think it's, mm. I think it's being really self-aware, Dan, about what that balance is for you in this time in your life. Mm. And, you know, you know, you've been through um, similar situations sure. to me with the, the health stuff, you know, the yes, energy yes. levels. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, managing that. It's it's a day-to-day -day thing and and but really establishing those boundaries and self-care rules, I suppose, rules for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm really guessing I'm guessing you tell me if I'm I'm wrong, but you know, working for yourself is probably, you know, well, I know it's a it's a meaningful thing and therefore that's probably not draining in the same way as as other things. I know for me a big part is knowing what's draining and how draining it is. Yeah. Um, so I can work in one role and it will be more tiring than another role. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's getting back to, um, uh, I suppose that we've done like a full circle, Dan, um, the positive psychology aspects mm, of mm. understanding what your strengths are um, because those strengths and what you do with those strengths, like, you know, owning your own business or um, in counselling or, you know, knowing what your strengths are it might be you know that you're really good at marketing or something like that they give us energy um mm -hmm. and you know, you, you know that working in your own business gives you energy um you know for me i worked stupidly in the government for eight years which drained my energy it really yeah. did yeah. energy out of me um and now i'm doing things that i love in every aspect of the jobs that i'm in so i've actually got more energy for life even though i'm probably working harder um those energy levels have definitely increased um, mm. which, which makes me more available for my family too yes yeah it's ironic isn't it it's like <laughs> when you when you're more present in what you're doing at work because you like it then you can also be more present at home because you've you've been rejuvenated and it's like a beautiful yin yang. Yeah, for sure. That's what I, that's what I find. Yeah. 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 And, and I find it's a good tiredness as well. Like, I mean, as an introvert relating to people in most of the roles I find myself in, I'm relating to people that's tiring, but it's, it's a good tiring. It feels similar to doing a, uh, you know, a few out of few hours of work in the backyard and physically using my body, you get in and you have a big glass of water. And it's like a good tide. It mm. feels like a good tide for me. Um, yeah. Whereas other roles I've been in that haven't fitted me as well. It's, it's just exhausting and draining and it doesn't mm. really give me much, much yeah. back. I think it's about being satisfied. You know, that, that mm. tiredness that you talk about, you know, um, it has a satisfaction at the mm. end of it. Um, whereas, you know, perhaps the other roles that we play that aren't aligning with us um, as well, it's more of an exhaustion, which mm. is um, mm. hard to cope with. Mm. Yeah, I like that, satisfied. That's a, that's a good way to word it. Yeah, when you... And that comes from the meaning. So we're full circle again, you know, yeah. when you find meaning in what you do. All this is making me think I really need to do a podcast specifically on self-care and yeah. really, really delve into that, maybe an interview or, yeah, not quite sure, but so important. And also the, the setting boundaries. 
mm. one one anecdote from my own life that it's it's at front of mine now because I was telling someone about it just the other day and I'd forgotten about it was I was seeing a a physio who's far more than a physio he's trained in other kind of energetic therapeutic kind of modalities and I went and saw him a friend of mine had recommended him so I went and saw him some years back now and we're talking about boundaries and I found myself saying at one point well I'm really good at setting boundaries you know like what you're talking about your energy levels and knowing what you you know I had I had that all sorted out I knew that if I say yes to this it will quickly increase my stress load and you know within a few weeks I'm going to have to pull way back because I'm going to be more worn out or um you know I can say yes to this other thing but I can only say yes a few times and you know all that very nuanced understanding about how to manage my energy levels but what he helped me pick up on was there was an incongruence that was happening whilst I was able to say no I'd learnt the skill of saying no and the outside world to all these things which which was great there was like an inner parenting in a child dynamic where little dan or little daniel because i was always daniel as a kid uh <laughs> little daniel was uh scared that saying no would mean i'd be rejected i'd, mm -hmm. I'd lose connection i'd lose friends i'd lose relationship i'd lose love mm -hmm. and so um yeah, that was just a really eye-opening experience that I had that we can learn boundaries, but we also need to learn how to, we also need to change our internal stories to be congruent with our external actions. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And do you know what, Dan, that, that is what's happening with um, most of the clients I see. They have an incongruence with, you know, what they want to feel, um, you know, and the boundaries that they need to set, but the self-worth behind that, mm. you know, um, plays a, a massive aspect um, into uh, what they want to achieve and are they worthy, you know? Mm. Are they mm. worthy yeah, well, that's what triggered the story in my, health, in my head when you said the, the self-worth and all of that. Mm. We might wind up soon, but I'd love to ask you, you know, what sort of tools are you using are you finding a good working with people around self-worth and and because you know we're talking about really uh slippery vague <laughs> things here not you know yeah. it's one thing to go home and you know put in a plan of goal one goal two goal three that you 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 had happen in therapy but it's mm -hmm. another thing to go home and say oh i'm going to increase my self-worth this <laughs> week like, yeah. how do we do that how do you do that with people um Look, it's so individual um, and different people respond to different tools, I suppose. Um, number one is um, really challenging those those negative thoughts that come into your mind. You know, that that is my number one, um, you know, tool for people. Challenge those um, ugly thoughts that come in um, because, you know, we all have them um, and unfortunately some are like you know an unweeded garden and they're out of control mm. we need to bring that control back and actually challenge them and the second thing i suppose is um around starting to trust yourself because when we have uh little self-worth um we don't trust ourselves we mm. don't mm. use our intuition to trust ourselves and trust our decisions and stuff like that so um you know start to do some things like uh you know free writing exercises um you know i, I i've had a um, couple of clients who um have really struggled to even just get paper to you know, pen to paper um, which is completely natural, but it's because they don't trust themselves mm, um, mm. and, you know, don't, don't trust, um, the process. Um, and you know, those clients are, are fully, um, journaling now. So, you know, and that's about, you know, building that self-worth as well. So it, it's, it, yeah, like I said, it's individual, but, um, you know, little things, um, and having the power to set boundaries is another one, you know, start really, really small, um, with setting some really small boundaries and and work your way up and and that actually empowers us as people to to start putting those things in place so yeah that's just mm. a couple of suggestions yeah yeah 
Yeah, no, it is empowering, isn't it? It's it's self-perpetuating. That's what Caitlin and I have found. You know, you set a boundary, feels good. It, mm-hmm. it changes the dynamics in a relationship when you do it, you know, in a healthy, respectful way. Mm-hmm. And you end up with better relationships and you end up with more energy and more, not just energy, but like vitality. You're not You're not running constantly on empty. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And I think you and I could probably um, talk all day about, um, you know, all of this. Yes, um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's yeah. yeah, so so much to talk about and yeah. so knowledge behind us. And it would be great to have you come back again because, you know, yeah. our issue wasn't so much what can we talk about but what, you know, how do we, <laughs> what are the multitude of topics. So, yeah, it would be great to have you come back again in the future. And thanks for making the time today. It's... Um, been a bit of a, a learning process for the two of us to do this over video so it's um it's been cool i always like trying something new thanks for, having, thanks for having me on dan i um really appreciate it and um you know i'm an avid listener to your podcast so. oh, thank you yeah well that's good at least i got one <laughs> uh, so yeah it's been really nice chatting and um yeah i definitely hope to to come back on and we'll explore another topic sounds good Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Carmen and I look forward to speaking to you again soon on the Convergently Speaking podcast.